Golden State rings true as the 2022 NBA champions as they get it done in Game 6, 103-91 over the Boston Celtics. And Stephen Curry wins his MVP of the NBA Finals, most deserved. Uh, his performance in Game 6 warranted the accolade. And to, to be honest, the, the, the childishness of the way I treated this man for the last eight years, ironically now in the last episode of the Hooper's Log for Season 8, Episode 40. I don't know the amount of shows I have done, but it's probably in the 500s, if not 600s. I've, I've done this show since December of 2014, and I have been full, broad-scale, on-site witness to the entire Golden State Warriors run, which they've done 2015 through now. And every ounce of praise, every ounce of respect, every ounce of accolades that they get, they deserve now. They are in the conversation. I'm still personally going to have, not because I'm a Spurs fan, but personally I'm still going to have the Spurs as the greatest trio ever. Now, if this trio wins another title with what they got with no help from a you know Kevin Durant or anything like that and they get it done I'll put them above the Spurs because six championship appearances in 8 years rivals what the Bulls did in the 90s it's very similar it's interesting because the way the Warriors did what they did is so it's so unique but it's also so similar in so many different realms of comparison Kobe when his when Shaq left and he came back and won two championships um obviously losing in 08 but then in 09 and 10 winning championships uh with basically his own squad that he helped create um going back to you know the Spurs winning three and five years, uh, four and nine years, and then winning a championship in 2014 and winning their fifth, fourth together as a unit, coming back from the depths of what people thought was over. Um, the Bulls, when Jordan left in the, basically in you know the mid-90s, and they came back and had the greatest season ever, winning a championship at 70, uh, 72 and 10. And then obviously winning two more after that. Then Jordan retires. But no one thought they'd get back there after Jordan left. Um, you know, the comparisons. You know, there's eight in the 80s with the Lakers and the Celtics, the constant back and forth. But there was a time period where nobody thought that at points where, you know, Magic would get back or Larry would get back or, you know. And so the comparisons to which their dynasty has gotten to is and I'm calling it a dynasty I'm, I'm gonna call it a dynasty four championship in eight years is a modern day dynasty in the, in the NBA and obviously different unit different team different everything but what they've done and what they've accomplished warrants the conversation and where Stephen Curry now lays in the historical ramification of the sport, 
I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it again right here. I watched Tim Duncan's entire career, and I've pretty much watched all of Stephen Curry's entire career. Stephen Curry's never been in the same successive dominance for a longer period of time as what Tim Duncan did. But also Tim Duncan kind of benefited off an amazing system, amazing team, amazing coach, all that. Stephen Curry came to a team where before his time, they were basically a mop, uh, you know, a doormat for the league for 40 years. And for him to propel this team to four championships, be be a big, 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 big portion of it, and obviously this year be really the main reason, and over the last couple years be the main reason for what they are, has propelled him into the conversation of guys in the top ten. If you want to put him in the top ten and go crazy and do all that shenanigans, be my guest. For me, he's not better than Tim Duncan, but if he wants to rub shoulders with Timmy, that's where I got him. Wherever you want to put Tim Duncan. I got Tim Duncan 10th all-time. I got Steph Curry 11th all-time. If you want to put Tim Duncan 7th all-time, I'm putting Curry 8th all-time. If you want to put Tim Duncan 5th all-time, I'm putting Curry 6th all-time. They are very similar in their characteristics, how they play their, you know, how they how they hold themselves, not how they play their game, totally different games, totally different players. But in the mindset and in the authenticity in the era of what we play of today, how he ended this game in game six and what he did ultimately with the tears that came from his face and the emotion that you saw, I I broke down too. And I broke down when LeBron James broke down after the 2016 NBA Finals. I broke down tonight for a multitude of different reasons and what I'll get to later on. But watching this man and his team, and, and, and the thing I think a lot of people, because of the prisoner of the moment, the, you know, the Fortnite mentality of people where, you know, tomorrow's another day and I'm prisoner, I'm just going to be a prisoner of the moment and everything that matters now matters, you know, right? What this guy has done over the last three, four years after having one of the greatest scorers next to him and Kevin Durant go away, Clay Thompson be gone for two and a half years, Draymond Green be out for, cons- you know, off and on consistently, really, and really have nothing around him for support, and even himself go through his own bouts of injuries and problems and circumstances. And to consistently keep on grinding and epitomizing what a champion does to bounce back, make it happen, get it done, adjective after adjective after adjective after description after description, to see him get back to the mountaintop after being the worst team in basketball, deservedly so, they were terrible in 1920, 2019-2020. And then in 2020-2021, this last, you know, last year, then to get bounced in the play-in, 
and then come back this year, have an incredible start to the year. Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, you name the players that stepped up for their team. Gary Payton Jr. All these guys that came into this onto this team and solidified roles, played in spots that were different, um, adjusted with when they needed to, playing in a Western Conference that, frankly, walking into next year is absolutely loaded, and an Eastern Conference that has been absolutely battle-tested. You talk about a Boston Celtics team that was completely battle-tested coming into the finals. They had a run where they beat every single team that they beat in the playoffs was a championship-worthy opponent. Every single team that they played in the playoffs and finals was an absolute championship conversation. And they matched all of that until this final game. I'll be 100% honest with you in game six. They came out real flat. I mean, actually, I'm sorry. They, they started the game real hot. Then there was a cap on the basket. The Warriors just... Sometimes when it's your night, it's your night. And the Warriors just came out and flat out destroyed them. And they did. What, they go on a 21-0 run? In the, in, the, in the second quarter, you know, first through second quarter, whatever. And then they just kept putting their foot on the gas. Yes, there were times where the Celtics responded. There were times where the Celtics got it down to single digits. But the Warriors' championship grit, their defense, their offensive uh, depth, their talent, the roles, everything came together. And they were absolutely deserving of an NBA championship. Clay Thompson's story needs to be a movie. I'm sorry, if I don't see a Clay Thompson movie in the next 20 years, I don't know who the hell is writing movies anymore. It is incredible when you think about the journey Clay Thompson has been on the last three years. And with the way the world's gone and with how everything's been and ultimately the way the Warriors looked, it's a story. It's an absolute fairy tale. There is no way you can convince me that what Clay Thompson did, any other player can step out and get back to a level that he got to by doing what he's done. How many NBA players, in fact, how many NBA superstars have we seen go through something similar to Clay Thompson and completely, if not disappear, be a shell of themselves, of anything that they've ever even seen an iota of, of what they once were? He's an NBA champion. Now, he has one of the greatest players of all time next to him and Stephen Curry. It's not even the greatest shooter of all time. It's one of the greatest players of all time in Stephen Curry. And he has one of the greatest defensive players ever next to him as well. It, does, it, it, it doesn't matter, though. He's one of the best fundamental basketball players this game has ever seen in Klay Thompson. And his shooting stroke is top five with Ray Ray, with Reggie, with, you know, Ray Ray, Reggie, Larry Legend. You break down the names, you talk about the overall 
greatest players to ever shoot it from the outside. And Clay Thompson is in that aura. He's in that ball game. He's in that ballpark. No one, no one outside of those three guys, four guys of Steph, are in the club with Clay Thompson ever in the history of the game. And he came back to being similar to that. After two and a half years, the struggle, the determination, it's it's a it's a movie. It's a movie. And if and if there's no movie about Clay Thompson, then I don't I don't know who's writing movies anymore and movies aren't movies. If that's that's all I got that's all I got to say about him. Just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. And Draymond Green, I mean, we he's a Hall of Famer. Clay's a Hall of Famer. Draymond's a Hall of Famer. And Stephen Curry is a no debate. After watching how he reacted after that game, I feel like, as somebody who's been one of the biggest critics of Stephen Curry, and as somebody who has completely turned it around in regards to the conversation and the narrative regarding him, I feel like anybody who now looks at Stephen Curry and has any kind of animosity, I frankly can't help you because what the man has done in these last eight years of me doing this show and being one of the most poignant, intellectually pinned into the game conversationists that you can envision with the sport of basketball my only critic about Steph now is that the conversation of is that he's evolved and changed the way the game is played, which I have talked about ad nauseum. And you can go back in the history of all my conversations and look at how I have seen the game change and how, frankly, I've seen the game change for not the better, not the more entertaining, not the more impressive, but... Now the conversation needs to shift from what the game is to what the game needs to become. And that's in what I'm going to talk about a little bit later about a lot of the reasons why I'm stepping away. There's no dirty laundry I'm going to throw out today. But Stephen Curry and his success path with the way the sport of basketball was always and always has been meant to be played in these 75 years of the National Basketball Association is a path that is so unconventional and so not what you want to teach any player ever, and it doesn't matter if they have the shot of Steph. It doesn't matter. You don't teach that type of basketball. And it's not hate. This is just the facts. But he has done it to an extent that is iconic, that is legendary, that is something that you can't ever put an overall scope on. That's what legends of the game do. Before it was, he's just the greatest shooter of all time. He can get stuff done. You know, he was a part of an incredible team in 2015-2016, winning 73 games, not winning the title, yada, 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 etc., etc. But his ability to consistently now, 
with this new layer of winning a championship after being in the rut that they were as an organization for 24 to 36 months is stuff that only legends get their names and their accolades for in regards to the all-time greats. The top 10 players ever in my book, I'm not going in order, I'm just naming them off the top of my head. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tim Duncan. Again, I'm not going in order. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. I would say Wilt Chamberlain. I would say Magic Johnson, obviously. I would say... Lord. I'm blanking on names here. I said LeBron. Okay, so let's just go in order. Because I got I got Magic Johnson as the... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I've got Michael Jordan as the greatest player of all time. Personally, I've got Magic Johnson as number two. LeBron's number three. I mean, obviously, I could put LeBron at two. It doesn't matter. It's one way or the other. It doesn't matter. Michael, Magic, LeBron, Kareem, Kobe. I got Shaq in there. That's a name I missed. Obviously, Larry Bird. You have to put Larry Bird in there. And then I missed Tim Duncan, obviously. I mean, oh, I said Tim Duncan earlier. And then you got to put Wilt in there because he's just he's just in he's in that conversation. He has to be in there. And then if I'm being completely honest with you, I'm missing some names and I'm not thinking about everybody involved. But if we want to get honest with ourselves, I'm clearly missing one name in here that I'm blanking on right now as we speak. But Stephen Curry is also in that category, right? He's now there. And when I talk about the way the game needs to evolve and the way the game needs to change, which again, I will talk about why I am leaving podcasting here shortly is that the game has evolved to such a point now where a guy like Stephen Curry, who is an anomaly, an outlier, in regards to these conversations within the game of how you have to talk about the sport and why people have tried to be like him and can't. You know, they can't be like him. It's just not possible. And they can't succeed to the level of winning championships like he can. Because it's not replicable. When teams try to replicate what Steph Curry does, which I've already said is unconventional and something that basically nobody can replicate, then you need to find a way to start changing how the game looks. I've said this in previous shows. The sport of baseball is going through so many different changes over these next couple of years with rule changes, with, with ideas and things to make the game more entertaining, more, more appealing, more, more centric to the way that the, the world is going today. They're trying. They're doing. The sport of basketball, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, has changed so much in these last eight years. And there have been 
outside of maybe the the foul shot and the way they're uh, uh, sorry, not the foul shot, the 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 second chance rebound when the when the when the shot clock drops down to 14 or changes to 14 instead of goes up to 24. Um, obviously, the way they call fouls and the space rule and all these things, like those have changed, but the overall game itself has had no overall change in regards to potential stylistic differences compared to the way it was when I started. Now, obviously, stylistically, it's completely different because athletes have gotten way better, way smarter, way faster, way more athletic, all those things. But the game has not changed. And my biggest criticism of why that hasn't happened is from the top down. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Adam Silver is a walking curtain. He is a walking coattail. He does nothing. The only thing he is is a face. He's a PR stuntman. He always says the right thing, which he's. I never discredit him for that. But in regards to laying the law down, he doesn't do that. He has no spine. And also for any kind of creativity for changing the game to make it more appealing and better for where it needs to go and where it potentially needs to evolve to, to set standards and set an availability and an opportunity for the game to, to, to evolve and to, and to grow and to develop. Sure, maybe from a business perspective and an international perspective, it can improve and get better. From a money perspective, yes. But from an overall entertainment product, there needs to be things that are pushed forward and dealt with to make the game more entertaining. Adam Silver hasn't done that ever. Ever. All he's done is play RoboCop to what David Stern set up for him. The game changed dramatically from the mid-80s till the time David Stern left. From a marketing, from a opportunistic, from a visual, from a availability. There's so many things the game evolved to up until about 2013, 2014, when, when David Stern walked away from being the commissioner. That now I can almost pinpoint you to back when I started my show in December of 2014 of how little any of that has changed. And that's not good for any business or organization or anything. And on top of that, the whole stuff that goes on off the court regarding anything, literally anything, has become so poisonous and so off-kilter And on top of that, certain players aren't playing games because they're deciding to not play to maximize their availability for when it matters. And as you're starting to see more and more and more, quicker and quicker and quicker, as we get further into the season, less and less matters to players. The NBA Finals this year was outstanding. But I will be 100% honest with you. Game six 
on Thursday was a replica of what basketball has looked like for the NBA this entire year. One team gets off to a great start. They're up 10 points super early. Usually what happens in that circumstance is that team with the 10-point lead will just take it and start going up by 20, 25, 30. And the game becomes impossible to watch. And the players don't care. And the coaches don't care. And it becomes this giant, you know, this this enti- this this gigantic um conser- like it's a it becomes a very conservative game of okay let's make sure nobody gets mad at each other let's make sure nobody gets hurt let's make sure everybody's healthy let's make sure everybody gets to play and get their runs in let's make sure everybody kind of goes out there and does what they're supposed to do and let's check out midway through the third I'm not saying that happened in the NBA Finals because it didn't. Because obviously Boston came back and made it a 10-point game. But when Golden State went on that 21 to nothing run and basically made the game non-entertaining from a close score perspective for, I'd say, about 30 minutes of the ball game, outside of the beginning and the end of that game, what really was there in a depth perspective to watch within this game? Where leaders hold their reign is where ideologies, outcomes, situations, practices, all these things become visual. And what Adam Silver has done the last eight, nine years, decade that he's been the commissioner of the league has essentially been a giant red carpet letting all these athletes do whatever the hell they want. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when the game has gotten to a point where we watch it today, and outside of maybe 5 10% of the content that's put out there is, not, is phenomenal basketball, but the other 90% is, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, hold back is is absolute garbage like you watch these athletes and they're absolutely incredible they're absolutely amazing but you know that the court needs to probably get a little bigger you know that the hoop maybe needs to change sizes you know that the ball maybe needs to be different you know that things with the game need to change to make the game more interesting There were so many times tonight when I saw Boston trying to do something to get back into the game, they had no open lanes for passing. There were times where they were just flat out lazy. I'd say half their turnovers on game six were lazy and, you know, uh, sloppy. But then there was the other side of it where when you watch the Boston Celtics and you watch them attempt and do what they were trying to do, and the next thing you know, They're trying to get back in the game, and they have no passing lanes. It's no discredit to Golden State because they're an amazing defensive team, but it's the reality of what the entire league is. There's a reason why teams and players and coaches just play isolation basketball most of the time now. There's no passing lanes. There's no system to really put in place unless you have absolute perfection. And basketball is a game built off capitalizing on sloppiness 
And unless you are perfect in the NBA, almost perfect in the NBA now, there is no way to capitalize unless you're on the fast break. And don't get me wrong, watching fast break basketball is fun. But the in-depth intensity of what happens in the mid in the you know in the half court has almost disappeared because there's no available because players are so good now. And there's no ingenuity to try and change the outcome of the game. I'll get to my reasons of why I'm leaving podcasting soon. But we have to give credit to the Golden State Warriors. What they have done to come back from these last 36 months and completely changing as an organization outside of three guys and their head coach, they have completely changed. And to do it again, that speaks to their character, that speaks to their ability to get better and improve, that speaks to everything that is within the heart of a champion. And I've never questioned the fact that they're not champions. They're champions, obviously, the three guys. But this championship, like Steph, like Clay, like Draymond all said, this one just meant more because, like Steph said, prior to the finals, and even myself, I even doubted it. Not to say I didn't think they couldn't win it, because they should have been favorites the moment they got to the Western Conference Finals. Because the moment they got to the Western Conference Finals, I thought that the Warriors were in a similar situation as the Bucks were last year. They're the team that should be favored to win it all now. Because who are they playing in the second round? Who are they playing in the Western Conference Finals? They weren't playing a team that was prepared or ready to take this next step at all. The Dallas Mavericks. Like, once they got to the Western Conference Finals and beat Memphis, who, let's be honest, gave them a run for their money, even though they still took care of them pretty well. They they were they were experience wise, they were talent wise, they were everything you wanted and, and experience everything way more ready to do what they wanted to do than the Dallas Mavericks. And obviously, Boston's in a similar spot. They've never been to the finals, completely battle-tested. Didn't mean they couldn't win the title. I clearly thought they could have. But this was Golden State's to lose, ultimately, when you look at the overall narrative from the last month. And I think now, knowing that they can do this stuff with the guys that they brought and they did it with in 2015 again... It goes to show you that it wasn't just about the flash in the pan, the three-pointers, the defense, the, the coaching, the other older guys. It was those three. And this championship solidified that. And you have to give all of the credit to them now. You can't sit there and say, well, they're not any good. If you want to live under a rock and say that they don't, be my guest. But that's clown stuff to me. That is clown show material to say that at this point. Four-time champions between all of them. Now, obviously, the Kevin Durant situation, that kind of takes away or at least takes some of the shine off of the four championships regarding the amount of praise that they overall should get. But to come back after basically rebuilding from the end of 2019 all the way until the end of 2021 calendar year for a 28-month period, you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, wow, they found a way, 30-month period, they found a way to get back to the mountaintop with 
whom they originally won a championship with, and they did it with zero excuses. They won an NBA championship this time where they did it with all the grit, all the, di- all the difficulty, all the intensity, all of the atmosphere, all the smoke. And they came out and said, we're about it. And they did it. And that's where you got to sit back and you can't, you can't rip them and be like, well, you know, they couldn't have done it here. They couldn't. No, 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 no. It all has become crystallized. It's all caramelized. It's all what it is. This trio, outside, if you want to look at the Kevin Durant stuff and give it a little bit of a little bit of a thing, fine. But this title solidifies 2015. This title solidifies what they did in 2016 to win 73 games was absolutely even more remarkable. And it was not a fluke. Yes, they lost. They were up 3-1. I understand. I get it. I've, I, I, was, I was completely there. But I ripped that whole year because I was like, listen, what you're seeing is not real. This isn't a really good, this is a great team, but this is more of a regular season team. When they get to the finals, it's all going to fall apart. And it did. But this title in 2022 solidifies that year in the history books as, oh my God, that was one of the greatest teams we ever saw. It just solidifies really how great LeBron is and Kyrie. But it's not like I look at it now and say, wow, they were trash because they didn't win the title. No, they were amazing. They just could not quite get it done because obviously Draymond hurt their team, hurt their chances. He really did by missing a game. But Overall, I don't look at that year now and say, wow, I mean, they choked, but up until June, they were the best team everywhere. It's kind of like the Phoenix Suns. I don't look at the Phoenix Suns as choking to Dallas. Sure, they lost to Dallas. It happens. But, I mean, what Phoenix has done the last two years has been amazing. But I'm not going to sit here and call them elite because they haven't won a championship yet. If they would have won a title this year, I would have said, wow, what Phoenix did the last 27 months is absolutely crazy. But what Golden State did, after being really bad for a two-year stretch, to get back here, it says a lot. It says an absolute, a whole hell of a lot about them as an organization. And those three guys in particular. So, kudos to them. 2022 NBA championships. You're not going to hear any more crap from me regarding the Golden State Warriors. I think the Boston Celtics are in a situation where they've got a shot to come in and be contenders for years to come. But I won't be here to care about that. And I'll I'll explain right now. Before I start giving flowers and before I break down my history overall, I'll explain to you why I'm leaving the podcast world. Frankly, it comes from so many angles. I'd say a 50-60% of it is just, frankly, I have no time. Like, I have no time. I'm a dad. I've got one kid, which is not that hard if you have two, three, five. Like, one is not hard comparatively to having more kids. And we're trying to have a second. We're going to try to have a second moving forward. And we're going to do what we can to expand our family. I won't have time. After having one kid, I will not have time. And 
the other thing about it is that there's so many other things I want to do with my life. And there's so many other things I want to learn and experience and grow with to improve upon in my current career, which I now am working at a transit agency to try and develop and go further and grow myself. And however I can do that, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. No one is. But I want to stake my claim to my career in this new arena of life. And doing this show hinders those opportunities. Um, My family, my career, um, the stuff I want to do with my house, my own health. My health is fine. My health is fine, but I'd like to get back to running. I would like to not have my mind covered in basketball, which it has been the last eight years, which I love the sport of basketball, but doing shows, I have a lot on my mind about what I want to talk about and all the things I want to do. And 55, 60% of it is about my life and just how it's, you know, my... I, I, I want to spend more time with my wife. I've got a bunch of things I would like to do outside of do shows. And it has nothing. None of it has anything to do with the lead sports media. Like I said, I'm still going to be involved on Twitter on Spurs lead. And I'll probably do that until we finally have someone who's there. And then honestly, I'll probably just walk away. But that's where my situation is. But the other 40 to 45% of why I don't want to do this anymore has so many reasons to do with so many things about the game of basketball. And it has nothing to do with me getting older, you know, and get off my lawn guy and the way the sport's going and all these other things. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the culture of the game. I started the Hooper's Log with the ideology that culture is a big ramification into why the NBA is a big deal. And why basketball matters. You have to have culture for everything to work. When you have an organization and you have anything and everything going your way and you're playing the game right and you're doing it the right way, it is so seamless and so beautiful and so great that it is the greatest thing you'll ever see. And the NBA, when that happens, it is magic. It is absolutely magic perfection. I can't think of a better sport to watch. I can't think of a better sport to analyze. I can't think of a better sport to break down and talk to you about. But a lot of that culture, and frankly, it's not just basketball. It's all sports. It's 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 all things regarding all professional athletics. I have fallen back in love with baseball for my own self. I watch baseball highlights every single night. I watch the Mariners every single night. I've got season tickets to the Mariners. And on top of that, I go to games with my baby girl. I go to games with my family. I've gone to games by myself. And one of the things that's taught me going to... I've gone to like 11, 12 Mariner games this year. And I'm going to probably about 30 overall this year. One of the things it's taught me is that in all of professional sports... Frankly, and maybe it's because I am older and maybe because I see this more. These guys, these professional athletes, they could not give less of a damn about you, the paying customer, 
And it has nothing to do with the fact that they don't care as people or that they don't care about you know the paying customer overall. But there's so many layers. And as we know at the lead, there are so many layers to ultimately get to where the product becomes the regularity, right? The product that becomes what feeds the the machine, right? It's not just the players. It's the it's the front offices. It's the GMs. It's the business mottos. It's the it's the endorsements. It's the, it's all these things that lead towards the players to ultimately have them care. And there is so much involved in so many things now that these players, frankly, don't have the time of day to give a damn about the fans. And when I first got into this. I had just started seeing it, and frankly, it's to a point now where I feel like if you think that a player cares about anything that they ever say about the fans, I feel like you're completely blind. They do not give a rat's ass about anything fans do. They care about their families. They care about their agents. They care about their paychecks. They care about the fact that they get their workouts done and they get everything done that they need to do to overall be as successful as they can to maximize their profits. Who's going to blame them? Nobody should blame them. That's America. That's what they should be doing. And if you as the fan are as naive to think that they give a crap about what you think in regards to your enjoyment to the sport based on however much time, energy, and enthusiasm that you decide to put into it, then you've got to be absolutely out of your mind blind. Unless you are a media member that is specifically covering the team and they talk to you and they know that you're basically a part of the, you're part of the organization at that point, they don't give a crap about you. And it's become more and more and even more apparent over these past couple of years after the whole COVID thing. Which that leads me to another reason why I'm stepping down from the media in that regard. Uh, COVID, Eric and I talked about this, and I'll, I'll talk about, I'll actually talk about Eric and, and a bunch of other people that I've worked with the show here later when I give some flowers. Um, it is so difficult to do what we all did while COVID was going on for a vast majority of the time. When sports completely shut down, we had to keep content. Fortunately, I had taken my my leave of absence. I actually was originally leaving, stopping my show in December of 2019, five years after I had started. But then I decided to bring it back up in July of 2020 because the sport was coming back. I had missed it, all these things, right? It was kind of like my own little comeback. And it was hard to drum up content and to do things when ultimately things were so irregular, so different, so off kilter that when I came back for the 2020, uh, 2021 season, the year last year, when the Bucks and Suns got back, I was so burnt out after that year that I was like, I'm going to give it a shot in the fall. And if I hate it, I'm so done. And I came back and I loved this basketball season from a doing shows and learning perspective and all that stuff. But I was, by the time I got to December, I was sitting there and I was like, I, outside of maybe watching what the 
Warriors and Suns might do if they go match up in the Western Conference Finals. I am so done with this sport. And in regards to covering it the way I do. And I was just like, I could be doing better time, doing doing different things, being involved in better, you know, more, more for myself, more valuable things. And like, it, the game has changed so much in basketball and the way the sport is covered and the way people react to the sport. It is so, I'll just say, it's so bipolar. And I, I, I frankly, outside of watching my own team, which is the Spurs, I frankly don't care about really what anybody else's team has to do. I just don't. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure a lot of people who are like, I have a lot of, there's a lot of Bucks fans at the lead sports media. And I'm sure they're in the same boat after doing this for years. I'm sure they think the same way. And I don't blame them now. I really don't. You know, um, as you get older and as these things, life kind of becomes more, time becomes more valuable as you get older. Like, these things don't mean mean anything in regard, like overall in regards to like, you know, what a player did and how he thought and what he said on social media. They don't care. It's all built to incite excitement to draw ratings. And that's the other thing that I'm, why I'm, I'm done with this because people aren't watching the sport the way I thought they would. In regards to ratings, I've been watching the finals now these last two years. And when I watch it, there's nobody outside of at the lead sports media that I talk to about the finals the way I used to. I used to be able to go to work five years ago and watch the NBA finals. And somebody would comment to me at work. Hey, did you watch that game last night? That was a good game. Or in the playoffs, did you watch that Boston Celtics-Cleveland game? LeBron was crazy. Or like Isaiah Thomas did something. Or you know what I mean? Like people were talking about it. It wasn't like a, a ton, but it was enough to where people were engaged and were actually watching. I haven't had any of that since COVID stopped, since we got back to some kind of normalcy. I have had none of that. I think I had a couple conversations with people about the overall game, but it's just... I haven't had any real dialect with people. And that is really, really hard to do when you have so many other things going on in your life that you enjoy. And on top of that, the way people talk about the sport now make it... There's people on social media. And again, this is another reason. There's people on social media where you try to interact with them. And they will give you like informational trivia things and they've completely forgotten about what happened in 2018. It's like people forgot what happened prior to COVID and they're like, wow, that actually happened. And it's like, yeah, dude, it only happened four years ago or three years ago. It wasn't that long ago. But people think, oh my God, that was like forever ago. Again, people's short attention spans. It's really hard to engage with people doing that. Another thing that's the reason why I'm leaving is because I, I, I haven't been gotten paid doing this. That doesn't, you know, obviously a lot of people working at the lead don't get paid. And the other reason is because I haven't had a producer or anybody finding ways to help create or, or incent, not just incentivize, but give me some kind of ingenuity about fixing my show. I mean, if they want to, that's, if, if, if they want to give me tips, that's totally fine. But, 
I, I haven't had a sponsor in God knows however many years. I haven't had a producer. I haven't had a guest since Eric, which was three years ago. And I frankly have been doing this all independently now with the Leeds platform for six years. This is six years. And it's it was an amazing start, an amazing two, three, four years with Eric's help and Manny's help and all the people. But I'm doing it by myself, and it's brutal. It's brutal. I loved doing it by myself when... I had a lot less things going in my life. Like when I first started the show, I wasn't employed. I lived in my parents' house. I was going through a lot of stuff in my life. And this show helped me get through a lot of that stuff from a mental perspective. And now I've got things going so much better and so good now to the point where, if anything, this show is a hindrance on those things. Right? I mentioned another reason why I'm leaving is because the game has not evolved and changed to a degree in which it's entertaining. That's another reason why I'm leaving. Um, Obviously, the COVID stuff, but not just the COVID stuff, but I'll be 100% honest with you, and I'm only going to say this for like a minute. The league now, in regards to promotional aspects, has essentially turned into widespread propaganda that I frankly don't care about. I don't care about people's positions on political topics. I have my own beliefs. I have my own rhyme and rationale and belief system for the things that I do with my life and the things that I believe in and that I know hold true based upon my own quote-unquote belief system. I don't need it jammed down my throat based on a political agenda, based on a belief, based on a racial equality, etc., based on a giant storyline that occurred that I should feel the way about, based on a movement, I don't care. I care about when dudes get on the court and play the way they play, and frankly, from the amount of times that I've brought up my opinions on those things off the court, I've been shut down, not from my people, but from other people. And what bugs me is, is I give a rational, commonsensical perspective on the things that I talk about, whether it's on or off the court. And people get upset because I don't follow in line with the way that the league wants to go with the way their belief system runs. And to me, that's propaganda. That's not sports. And with the way I'm seeing the sports landscape in the vast majority, not all of it, but in the vast majority go, it's becoming more and more and more outlandish, straight up propaganda. And the NBA is a forefront of that type of stuff. And I don't care about it. You know what I care about? I care about dudes playing the game. I care about the game evolving. I care about the business of the game. I care about why and whom and for what reason a guy did a certain thing in a game. And if a guy is going to be an idiot off the court and say, do something political or whatever, and I can't have an opinion about it because I have my own belief system, because I have to fall in line with whatever I'm saying, that's some Marxist and some propagated stuff that, frankly, I don't want to be a part of. That's, again, 
that is not the main reason I'm leaving media. It doesn't help. It really, frankly, upsets me, and it bugs me. But I could keep talking about the sport of basketball and giving my opinion for the next... For, I could do it forever. I could do it forever. And I could talk strictly about the game. But it is really hard when, if eventually down the road, I'm going to have to start using verbiage and vocabulary and language to ultimately shape my argument and my conversation based upon a agenda, based upon a... Uh, uh, a, a pronoun uh, based upon a uh, a uh, what do you call it a uh, privilege thing I have no idea the angle that that orientation of language is going to start moving forward with and frankly I don't want to have to deal with it because I don't want to see something that I used to talk about in a very down-to-earth, uh, raw-to-the-bones perspective on now be turned into this propagated, let's utilize this platform to now push political agendas to start making people talk and do things the way we want them to do based upon an agenda. I don't want to be a part of something like that. I am going to talk about my San Antonio Spurs and them improving when I go on to spur on on to Spurs lead, right? But I'm only going to keep it basketball because that's all I care about. But when all I see in my newsfeed from everybody else within the San Antonio area talking about whatever giant news situation that has occurred for whatever reason, for whatever circumstance, for whatever thing, or something that they don't talk about because it's being politically you know, because it's being politically hidden. That's the kind of stuff that I frankly don't want to be involved in or talk about because honestly, all it is is propaganda. For whatever way you want to view it, one way or another, that's what it is. And this all started changing, frankly, around the time that I started at the lead in 2016. And again, I'm not going down that road here because there's so much more stuff to talk about and there's so many great things to talk about that I did with this show. But that is also another reason why I can't, I, I can't do this stuff anymore because I don't want to be forced to talk about an event down the road, not recently, but down the road that I frankly don't care about, nor do I want to bring it up and say my piece on regarding why I want to discuss said event. Because the way I'm probably going to have to talk about it in the media is not how I actually believe. And when that becomes the case, it becomes golden handcuffs. And when you start getting golden handcuffs, why do I have those if I'm not getting paid? That's when it comes back to, okay, where what are we doing here? And so it becomes full circle. And a lot of it is really, really frustrating. And when I come from a place in my heart that I know is always good, and I know the people that I've talked to in the media are all relatively really nice people and really good people, 
it's very, very hard to then all of a sudden have a divisive topic come up that I'm forced to either agree or disagree on whatever based upon whatever angle it's pulled. And then all of a sudden, I'm put into a corner of this is how I think and this is how I, how I do things because I associate with a certain being or a certain thing. That's just crazy to me. Because last time I checked, this is America. And when you live in America, honestly, there are consequences for the things you say and the things you do. There's, it's not like you're free of consequences. But the ideology of me either sticking to or not talking about a certain subject because it's not based around a quote-unquote truth of what the one side truth wants it to be one way or the other because frankly I'm down the middle with everything and when it has to be one way or the other that's that's not something I want to be a part of and a lot of the NBA has turned into that and frankly it comes right back to Adam Silver why are you letting players promote things to this degree to change it so that now we're not even talking about the game anymore. We're talking about crap off the court. And it's not even the players now. It's the announcers. It's it's just outside of the playoffs, like that's all it's become. That's another one. The announcers, they talk about the sport in game. There's no enthusiasm. Now, if it's a local broadcast, I have no perspective. But if it's a <coughs> if it's a national broadcast. I've said this a million times. If it's a national broadcast, the announcers have become very malaise, very, you know, talk sportsy, which is fine for what I'm doing right here, but they don't talk about the game inter- interwovenly, intermittently, inside what's going on. They don't do that during the regular season anymore. They don't. It's become propaganda for Twitter, for Facebook, for for Instagram, for all of these other social places to discuss things. That's what broadcast national broadcast games become. It's a joke. It's not like it used to be where you had Bill Walton actually talking about the game and, you know, glorifying a guy and saying why he does these certain things right and then going to a replay and having him show you why and then saying something witty or hilarious that Bill Walton will say or, you know, having a guy like Mark Jones who used to do this stuff, He used you watch him and he's talking about the game and talking about a great player and what he did and all this and why it's important to why he's impacting his team or anybody. They all just go down this feeder tube of talking about crap that doesn't matter. And then they, and then they wonder why their ratings are in the tank. Why a nationally televised game is not getting watched. Why nobody cares. Because when you're watching the game, dudes are talking about crap off the court. An amazing dunk happens. Oh, what a great play. And let's get back to what he, what this one random player talked about on Twitter who's not even in the game or not even involved in this particular sport. There's, again, there's so many reasons as to why I don't want to do this anymore. And, again, it's not one particular thing. It is so many things. It is so many things, and a majority of it's my life. Frankly, if I was living the same life, if I was living by myself, not married, didn't have kids, didn't have a you know uh, uh, two thirds of an acre property, uh, owning a home, a great career, uh, worked with really amazing people at the job that I earn a living for, 
all these things, if I didn't have, or if I didn't play softball, if I didn't love baseball, like if, I, if, if my life was similar to the way it was five years ago, I would be doing what I'm doing right now. That's why I did it for eight years. That's why I did this show for eight plus years. That's why I, eight years ago, I started the Daily Craze. And I started the Daily Craze because I wanted to start my own show. And I did that for seven months until I started the Hooper's Log. S- you know, six months until I started the Hooper's Log. And I did that show for seven, eight seasons. And that's why I'm ending it, you know. And on that, I wanted to talk now about all the people who've made this possible. CLNS Radio, it's a very ironic that the finals ended with the Celtics and the Warriors. Because the Warriors have really defined all this time I've been doing the Hooper's Log because they've been the team of the last eight years, which is how long I've been doing this show. And it's hilarious because now they are, in my opinion, a common day dynasty. And what they did and what they have done is incredible because when I first started the show, nobody was talking about the Warriors. I mean, yeah, they had an amazing start to the 2014-2015 season, but nobody was talking about them being a for-real contender. Nobody. For the reasons why we all know, because of the way they played. And they broke all those stereotypes, they won a championship, and then obviously the rest is history. But after I got found out, after about a month or two doing my show independently, I got picked up in a place called CLNS Radio. And uh, Nick, uh, Nick Gelso found me on Twitter and was like, hey, I want you to be a part of us. And I want you to help with our, our post-game shows. And I want you to have your show on our stuff. And I'm like, wow, this guy's great. I'm going to jump on board with him. And I was with them for a year and a half. And I basically was with them all the way through the 2015-2016 regular season, or NBA season, which was the year the Warriors went 73-9, and and the Cavs beat them down 3-1, which to me, frankly, was honestly one of the most fun years I've ever had doing media. I talked to so many insiders. I talked to, I talked to so many local insiders of teams, um... You know, we talked to a lot of Pistons people because my main guy, Andrew Norris, was was helping me out with the show back then. He helped me out for almost an entire season. And, you know, I had, God, I can't tell you how many insiders I had on that year. I think I had like 10 to 15 insiders on from random places, random media outlets, random small little tiny places. And we would talk, and we would, and we would, and we would get into all of the nitty gritties of each team, and why they were, why they weren't playing as well, or why they weren't as successful, or why they weren't, you know, or why they were, how they were, how they went on this streak, or how this player has improved, or why. All of these really intricate, small town informational people, and it was so great. We talked to a ton of them, a ton, tons of people, made lots of connections, <clears throat> had a lot of incredible dialogue that year. And we did it almost every day. In fact, we did shows every single day, Monday through Friday, all of the 2015-2016 season. I think we did 167 episodes that year. It was oh man, it was an it was one of the most fun 
years I ever did media. And boy, I tell you what, that year also was incredible because that was when Kobe Bryant, his last game, his last year of his career, Tim Duncan's last year of his career, it was a real shifting point in the league. And nobody knew it. You know, everyone kind of thought we we're just going about our, you know, going about our life, whatever. And before you know it, this historical year of 2015, 2016 is taking place. And I covered the entire year. And I did it at a pretty big place where even today you can go back and find those podcasts at CLNS Radio from 2015, 2016. And it's just, it's remarkable. It's, you know, that year was just, that year was just very refreshing. And it's amazing how much I took that for granted now sitting here and seeing how how much the league has altered since then. That's like the best word I can use is altered. I, that 2015-2016 season, there was so much entertainment from so many different narratives and so many different storylines and so many different teams. And I, I just feel like now, with the way the league promotes itself and distributes itself and uh, prom- and and really not just promotes itself but opens itself up for availability, it's so vulnerable for so much garbage to be involved now that it's almost not even about the game anymore. It's about all the other stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that to a point. But when that's all that's being shot out there, it, it really waters down the entertainment of the game. And that just wasn't the case six years ago. And so... It's crazy because I remember back around that time when I was with Andrew Norris, I used to tell him off off air. I used to tell Andrew Norris off air, dude, this game is going to be so much so popular in the next 5 to 10 years that it's going to overlap the NFL. And he he didn't laugh at that because we legitimately thought so. Based upon the way that year played out in 15-16, we honestly thought by the time we got to the turn of the decade, we'd be like, damn, the NBA might overtake the NFL. It is so good. It is so entertaining. It is so complete and put together that if the game evolves and changes and develops into the way it looks like it might, this might be the best sport on the planet. Outside of soccer, obviously. I mean, soccer is international. And and frankly, one of the killers with that was when Kevin Durant went to Golden State. That killed a lot of momentum that was talked about after that year. It really did. It hurt a lot of the narratives. And then once that happened, all of the, the just, the game just, it just kind of sunk, you know. It doesn't stink. The players aren't bad. Nothing, none of that. It's just, just the aura and the feeling of the game just completely changed. And that was really frustrating. But man, we had some incredible guests. Um, You know, I had some guest hosts. I had some people who I had on co-host the show with me. Um, God, so many people. Not enough. Not enough time, really, because I could do this all night. Um, Incredible friends that I had uh, through Twitter. People that I talked to regularly um, would come on and co-host the show randomly at times. Um, You know, we had some great insiders. We had Freddie Coleman on. Uh, I interviewed Samaki Walker, um, ESPN insiders, um, 
you know, I had a producer for at least a year with Mark, uh, Mark King, who now does stuff for the Grizzlies. Um, and he's been doing stuff for ESPN for a long time. So Eric Peterson, huge, huge help when he jumped in. Obviously he's the, he's our, he's our guy at the lead. And he helped with the show for two years from the 17, 18 season. And then in the 18, 19 season, for sure. He helped jump on and do shows with me. Um, and helped co-host as as regular as he could, which was pretty frequent, if not almost every show. Um, you know, it when I first jumped in at the lead, the craziest part is, is I remember when Manny contacted me when I was at CLNS Radio, and I want to say it was late 2015, that 2015, 2016 season. I want to say it was late 2015. We were in like the... <clears throat> like the first two, three months of the season, we were in the dog days of January. or It was either January or right around Christmas. And Manny had contacted me randomly on Twitter. And we all know how Manny is. Anybody who's been with the lead forever and knows who Manny is. Manny is awesome, by the way. I love Emmanuel Godina. That that guy is, is a brother from another mother. Um, you know, I think we've all got our qualms with people in the world. And I think Manny would even admit to you that he didn't give all, give it his all in his last year or two with the, the lead when he first started it back in 2015, he didn't give it his all. Um, but in regards to just being a great guy, I mean, that guy contacted me in 2015 or 2016 and was like, yo, you need to jump on with us. I'm like, dude, I'm in, I'm at CLNS. I do. I have, I have scheduled post game shows for the Celtics. Like, what are you talking about? I can't go anywhere yet. Plus I plan on being here for at least the rest of the year. You got to calm down. I'm not just going to jump ship. I'm, I'm paying to be here. And he was all gung ho and excited. He's like, yeah, I just started this place, you know, a couple months ago. I'm like, Manny, contact me in like June when you've actually got some real con, when you've got some real data to back up your growth. And, Lo and behold, dude kept his word, contacted me back in like late May and was like, hey, we've gone from, you know, 300, 400 followers to now at the time, I think it was like four to 5,000 followers. And I was like, you know what? This guy's, this guy's showing me something. He's showing growth and it's at a level that is better than what my show is providing at CLNS. I was getting like 500 to 600, sometimes a thousand listens every show. And I don't know how that was the case because unless CLNS had an amazing ability to promote my show, I, I, I granted I was on every single platform you could imagine. I was in I was on platforms that don't even exist today. Like that's how many platforms I was on, and I can see why people would listen and etc. and all that. And I was daily and all this other stuff. But I remember when Nick Gelso was like, dude. You can be big time at this. You just gotta, you just gotta find a way to get get those promotions coming. And that was one of the biggest struggles I always had. I couldn't, I couldn't do the business side of the promotional aspects. The only thing I did was was do content. You know, kind of like the Spurs. All I could do was produce. I could not, I could not develop any kind of promotional outlook regarding ads. I just. Nick would give me ads to do. I did ads on my show all the time on the Hooper's Log when I was with CLNS. I did, I did, I did spots all the time. He always said, hey, 15 minutes in, do a, do a spot. Uh, 
25 minutes in, do a spot. If you're in between a, a portion of a, of, a, of a conversation piece, do a spot, right? He always had me do spots, which is fine. It's fine. But I could never get them for myself so that I could pay myself. I could never find it. Plus, I had no time. I just, I didn't have time. I was doing shows every single day. I didn't have time to sit down and actually, you know, read through the layouts that he provided with me to get me to promote. I just... I just wasn't, I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have time. All I wanted to do was do shows. That's all I wanted, just, all I wanted to do was do, do shows. And, but Nick provided me with that. And I got to talk to Ty Ray. Uh, Ty Ray is just, that's my guy, man. God, I love Ty Ray. What a nice guy. He used to work in uh, uh, the Denver News, um, one of their local affiliates there. Uh, he did news for a long time. And, um, Sat down with me when I was with CLNS, and he talked about what I wanted to do with my goals. I told him, "Man, I want to be—I want to be the best talk show host in America." And he said, "I believe you can do it." And I was like, "Damn, man! I hope you're not blowing smoke." And we, you know, and then we talked, and we talked about you know the Celtics and the sport, downtown Tacoma, you know, North Tacoma, over by Stadium High School. I remember that the coffee shop right there. I still remember that. I'll never forget that. I will never forget that interaction. God, that was like 2015. That's a long time ago. Um, you know, and then being with them, just the only thing I cared about at that time when I first started the show was producing shows. All I cared about was making content. How can I evolve my show? How can I change and develop and create and, and produce and allow for content to just flow and to stream? And one of the things that I allowed myself to create, and on top of what I allowed other people to do when they jumped in and did the show, was allowed them for their own creativity to uh, ooze out. You know, I had people jumping in and allowing themselves to do whatever segments they wanted to do with whatever contents and creativity that they could, because that's how you allow for people to be original. There's so many people today with podcasts that don't do original content that there's so malaise and all they do is break down what everybody else's opinion is. And don't get me wrong, I do that time. I do that too. I fall into that trap too. I do it all the time. But for the longest time it was about how can we be creative and how can we change our perspective on what we're seeing with the game and how a certain guy is doing a certain thing based upon a metric that we want to pick at or we want to look at and give it a certain uh, segment and a certain point of point of emphasis. And we tried changing it up and giving it all that. And one of the things I kept trying to stick upon was before people even know is the whiteboard worthy performances. I tried creating my own metric. It helped me with fantasy leagues. Shoot. I would finish top two, top three every year in fantasy with my own whiteboard worthy performance metric. And everyone's like, how do you do that? Where does it come from? But the, hey, man, I'm just trying to create content for y'all to listen to. You know, and then bringing up, um, you know, talking about the players of the month, um, bring out the top 10 performances of the week, um, giving you who uh, had the best game winner of the week and how it might rank based upon the end of the year and what it looks like and all just creating content storyline central. I did that with uh, the lead for two years or about a year and a half. When I first got there, creating videos with, uh, with, with, with narrative in the background, with me reading a script and allowing for you to feel like you were immersed in the game. You know, all of these different outlets of content, doing whiteboard worthy videos 
the best performances of the week every single week for 40 straight weeks for the NBA regular season. Maybe not 40, but you get my point. It's like 30, like 30, however long the season is, 20, 25, 26 weeks of doing that every single week at a given time, getting it out the door, doing team preseason predictions, all this stuff, and getting it out there ready for you so that you could initiate and grapple the content. One of my initial things that I wanted to have on the Hooper's Log was talk about the culture of the game, like I said. And I wanted to get involved in the sneaker game. I wanted to get involved in the fashion conversation of the game. And I wanted to get involved in a lot of the auras around the game. But as I said, as time kind of went forward with all that, a lot of that stuff kind of just turned into a lot of really random, really, really random entities. Like the fashion and the shoes and all the stuff that the game now goes through. It is so odd. I mean, just look at Russell Westbrook. It's the perfect example. Like, what in the heck does he wear most of the time? That was something I didn't want to cover anymore. That wasn't the way I saw it growing up as a kid and what I wanted to cover and talk about. And plus, a lot of the people I started seeking out regarding the shoe game, the fashion game, the hat game, all that stuff... They were telling me stories that, frankly, I just I didn't want to pursue those stories anymore because I felt like it was a market that was scary. And I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. I didn't want to ruin any angles or opportunities that people had. And so I said, uh, nope, not doing that. Uh, <laughs> and I started reading articles and I was just like, okay, I'm not going down that path. You know, a lot of the different creative investitures. And I had some people that I had on my show early on in the 2014-2015 season that I had on that were legitimately like in that scope and in that realm of stuff. And I had them on the show and I was like, okay, what's the next fashion and the next shoe coming out? What's the next thing coming out? What's this next idea? Like what's this next 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 thing going to come, right? What's this going to be? And they would tell me and it was actually pre-riveting because you don't know anything. And they give you ideologies on like, you know, cop dates and days to grab and you know what to look forward to next and how they get you. And before you know it, you start to kind of pick up on it and you're like, okay, this is kind of its own machine that I really don't want to be involved in because I could ruin someone else's opportunity. And I don't want to do that because then the wrong person might come after me. And before you know it, you've 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 ruined something. And that was something I just didn't want to ruffle any feathers with. But it's those it's those you know, that passion, right? And why we join and why we do stuff and why we eventually get involved and why we want to be what we want to be, right? The whole goal for me and the whole lifestyle and the opportunity and the situation for me for the Hooper's Log and why it became what it became was the ideology that when I close my eyes, I can listen to somebody who loves the game from a bare minimum perspective. And the whole ideology of the Hooper's Log from when it started and the name it came from was I'm an only child, right? And one of the things I used to do as a kid because I, was, I wasn't I was shy as a kid, but I wasn't somebody who was going to go knock on people's doors to, to hang out with friends, right? I was just going to run into people and see what we could do from there. But 
one of the things I loved to do as a kid was I loved to just go to the elementary school and just shoot hoops for hours. Just shoot. Just shoot hoops for hours. And I didn't care if anybody was there. I didn't care if anybody was around or not. It was just nice to go shoot hoops and enjoy the bouncing of the ball, the ability to go and shoot the layups, shoot the three, make sure you don't hit the ceiling on the uh, on the indoor roof. Um, you know, work on your left hand, work on your elbow shot, work on your, your free throws, work on your top of the key, work on your, your left-handed layup, work on your left-handed dribble, work on your three-pointer, work on your mid-range, work on all these things. And before you know it, it's been two, three hours. Your hands are black because the, <laughs> your hands are black because the freaking court is cement and the ball is so dang dirty from the cement that you know, you touch your face, and before you know it, you've got <laughs> you've got lines running down your face. And when you would do that, and when you'd be around that, and be and, and, and just be immersed in the sport, and I used to listen to my Walkman when I'd go play, when the, especially during the playoffs when I was a kid. And um, some of the best simple times of my life, and when I did the Hooper's Log. The idea of it was a kid going to the park, putting his backpack down, and grabbing the ball and just figuring out what he wants to work on with his game. And I felt like whenever I turned on my mic, whether it was on a laptop, whether it was on an iPad, whether it was on a PC, whether it was on my phone, which I've done the last however many years, whether it was on the work computer, whether it was on, you know, uh, work PC, home PC, it doesn't matter. I felt like every single time I turned on the mic, I was the kid who brought his backpack to the court and waited to see what was going to happen on top of had plans to work on his game or all I wanted to do was throw a ball at an iron rim and get away and one of my dreams I had two dreams as a kid my mom asked me what do you want to do with your life when you're sophomore junior in high school and I told her, I was, I was 16, so it was one of those years. I told her, I want to either be a counselor or a radio host, sports talk radio host. And actually, I want to be both. And there was a point in time where I actually was almost both. Um, I was a co-host of one of my good buddies, uh, Marty Elm, Speed Hump Sports. We did that from 2013 through mid-2014. Um, and we talked everything sports and it was great. And one of the things that propelled me to start my own show was doing that. Marty was a, he was a intern at King five news and he got into it and he loved it. And he was like, I need a co-host. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And that propelled me into my own passion of what I wanted to do because I had a dream of eventually doing this. So how do I do this? Right. And so I think one of my main goals going through all of this process together for myself and for everybody involved has been to eventually do live radio. I still have a goal 
to pay for some segments for live radio. I don't know what they cost these days because God, only God knows how expensive all that is with, you know, <laughs> with the way the world is right now. But, you know, overall, all the people who've invested their time, who've listened to my show, who've been through it. I mean, God, I, I've done my show in the weirdest and the hardest of times. I've stayed up late so many times in regards to being available for post games, um, you know, being available for at any point, you know, if my life is super packed, I found a way, you know, before work, I would do a show for 30, 40 minutes in the car. You know, if I was on the road for work, I was in the show, I was on a show, you know, if I was, if I was at home in, in a frozen garage, which ironically, I'm doing my last show in a garage, not frozen because it's June, but I have done so many shows in a cold, frozen garage. That is one thing I'm probably going to miss in the winter. And I did this before the Hooper's Log. I did this before I even created the Hooper's Log. I would sit in a cold garage and do a show. It is one of the best. It, I tell you what, people. I think with the day I lay down to die, that's going to be one of the things that I just want to do, is do a segment of radio in a cold garage. It, it will just, it brings back so many good memories of people and talking to people and content and, and ideas and passion and you can see your breath as you're wandering around. You can see your sweat coming off your head. You know, you're really getting into it. And it's just, I mean, that, you know, you do it for long enough and it just, it becomes is, right? There's not even a, it's not even like a thing. It just becomes an is. And it's just something about sitting down and talking about, sitting down and talking about what you're passionate about and letting the world know and getting it out there. And I think one of the, I wouldn't call it a burnout because I could do this for the rest of my life. But I think something hit me really, really hard, especially this year in particular. There's a guy who lives out here, well, who used to live out here in the state of Washington, Washington State. And he did local media and local journalism for forever. I, I think he had done it for the last almost 30 years, realistically, out here in the state of Washington. And one of the things that this man in particular, because I have to give flowers, because I never got to do this um, in the correct way because I didn't want to do it until I felt it was right, which is right now. For those of you that are old enough, I don't know how many of you are, but John Clayton in the Pacific Northwest was somebody that loved doing what he did and he did not care what his platform was. And one of the most powerful things that I remember seeing 
when he passed away. I want to say it was in either December or November. I want to say it was either I want to say it was either December or January. It doesn't matter. It was sometime in the winter. And one of the most powerful things happened that I noticed and I recognized when he had passed that I I grew somewhat I would say I grew a little bit sick from because it reminds us of all of us who are passionate about something in our life that we love to do. And he did what he loved till the day he died. I think it was the day before he died. Two or three days before. I think he died in February. I'm starting to forget now what day he died. It was a while ago. He wrote an article about, I think it was Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, a day or two before he died. And everything that he had written on that, whether it was a Twitter account, wherever he posted his his content, he was still consistent in his work. And for those that don't remember, John Clayton had a regular segment on ESPN for SportsCenter all the time, like 20 years ago. Like, he was a regular... Like, if John Clayton was talking on ESPN, you listened. Because the dude knew his stuff. He didn't BS. He didn't... I mean, he joked around, but he didn't BS. He was the original uh, Adam Schefter but without the pomp and circumstance. Like, the dude got stuff done. And he talked about it, and he did it, and he was he was quirky. He was super nice. And you could tell he loved everything he talked about. Every time he spoke about the sport of football, you could just see the synapses firing off in his, in his face. He loved like a genuine heart of gold love for the sport of football and this man in his late 60s mid to late 60s died a day or two after his last article he ever wrote when he died this man was a man who had been doing this since he was in his like late teens For 50-something years, this man wrote articles for the sport of football. When he died, it made me realize, what do I really love? And the first thing I thought of was my daughter. And frankly... When I thought of John Clayton, I realized I love doing radio so much, but I have to talk about and do it for the right reasons. And I have felt over the last, I would say, year and a half, I have not been doing radio for the right reasons. It is not that I don't love it, but it is not to the degree in which I am helping or providing or opening doors. 
I'm merely doing it because it was a dream that at one point was a dream that I felt I could attain. And now I'm holding on to a dream that a 16-year-old wanted. And I'm 31. And what I'm trying to get at is, is John Clayton's death and the amount of people it shocked for the people that I grew up knowing all around the sports media landscape, all around my friends, all around everybody that I ever knew, knew that John Clayton loved football so much that it was something that obviously didn't define him, but it helped him live. And when I started connecting that dot, I realized that when I talk about basketball, or frankly, sports in general, I need it to do that. And when he died, and I felt, and heard, and talked, and listened, and understood the reverberations of his death, from the impact he had on people behind the scenes, that was when I realized that I'm not doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this for the youth in me, for the selfish in me, and not for the reasons I set out to begin what I did. Not because I don't love the sport of basketball or because I don't love doing radio or because none of that. I love doing what I do, but it doesn't impact others around me. I've never had, well, not never, I've actually had plenty, but especially over the last three, four years, I haven't really had anybody come to me and talk to me about my podcast. I haven't had anybody, you know, I've had them every once in a while, you still doing your podcast or you still doing this or you still doing that or, you know, but it's not a regular thing. It's just a, it's just a blip on the radar of a topic of conversation. No one wants to talk to me about basketball anymore. Nobody wants to talk to me about how I'm doing in regards to my radio career. No one wants to dig into why I'm doing what I'm doing. And frankly, if that's not what it's doing for my life, then what's the purpose of continuing outside of the fact that I can talk and do what my goals originally set out to do from a selfish perspective to try to attain a dream that, again, an evolved, uh, uh, innocent, less knowing, naive version of myself wanted to attain. On top of it being involved in a world now that is so incredibly, drastically, viciously different than what I saw back nine, ten years ago, fifteen years ago when I had the dream.
Why continue? I had to come to grips with that for months. I finally told Eric in April, I was like, after the playoffs, I'm done. There's nothing to do with not being passionate about doing the radio show or watching the games or being in tune with the news or any of that. It had everything to do with seeing a guy like John Clayton pass away, who I respected immensely, and a lot of people who I love and care about respected immensely because they knew his story and they knew that everything he did is was with love and that what I'm doing with my radio show doesn't necessarily revolve around that. It revolves around that entity of that dream that I tried to chase as a naive 23, 24-year-old, 16-year-old. And again, not that it's not love, but it's just it's just different. And that hit home big for me. And when I learned that and I saw that and I understood that, that was when I had to decide, okay, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to do this to my family? Do I want to impact people and change outcomes and change lives and 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 do all these things with my radio show when it's not reaching the people it used to? I think the clear answer is no. I don't want to do that. And for a lot of the reasons I mentioned earlier in regards to why I'm not doing shows anymore. You know, I want to thank every single person who has ever been involved with this show. This was something I created out of a... I brought this up at the end of last show. This was something I created out of the necessity for healing. The stuff I was going through at the time of the creation of this show is stuff that I hope nobody in their life ever has to go through. I I sincerely hope nobody has to experience the things that I experienced. Eric knows what I'm talking about. I've told him the story. Obviously, my entire family knows. But I hope nobody has to ever go through that. And as I mentioned earlier, Without this show, I don't know, I, I, I frankly don't know from a sanity, from a motivation, from a purpose to live perspective would have been attainable based on the portion of my life I was in when I started this show, um, the people who I interacted with while doing this show gave me reasons to push forward, at least more reasons to push forward. Um, you know, there's, 
so many angles to pull from for all of the reasons and the situations and the struggles and the fun and the excitement and the frankly just irritating things, people's scenarios, surroundings. This show has been not, not I wouldn't say a waste of time because it not, definitely has not been a waste of time. But one of the things I said on the Hooper's Log back when I started it was, if you never fulfill your dreams, it's as if they never existed. And one of the big things that I think I got to do with the path of this show through really self-ingenuity on its own I wouldn't say it was all me. Everything you do in life, just a tip in regards to your ability to succeed for whatever you create and whatever you accomplish will never be good on your own. Okay? This show has had, outside of the last two years, this show, for the vast majority of the time it existed, had so many people helping to keep it what it was through the own ideology of my own but it was not because of just me i had people wanting to come onto my show just to have a fun time to talk basketball i had people wanting to host my show just to get their name out there for recognition i had people wanting to come on my show because they wanted to not just self promote but they wanted to really understand another ideology of the game I had people listening to my show and telling me that they really enjoy the passion and the raw authenticity that I provide. I had people give me tips as to how I could improve. I've had people tell me they wish they had they heard more of people like me who would give their all for everything that they ever did and put on display and would be around for. You know, I think someday I will come back to radio. But, and I've said this in the past, you know, I, I did this I did this in 2019, and those, you know, you know they know. But, uh, in regards to basketball, I, I think it's been used up in that regard. And it's, uh, it's something that so many people have been involved with that is just... Uh, it's really awe-inspiring because when I really look back on it with what I was going through in my life and the life that I had, the life that I was living, which was growing and developing to the point where it is now, which I am forever grateful for in my own belief system, I could not and would not have ever dreamed I would be in the spot I am right now. And that's what makes it a lot easier to walk away from where I am right now than it would have been if I walked away in 2019 or if I walked away in 2018 or whenever we were at our very lowest point at the lead sports media. We were at a very low point at the lead sports media back in around 2018 when we had a swap in management. And the people who took over have been phenomenal. But before that, man, we were at like 
what were we doing here? You know, like overall. And, you know, ultimately the one thing that I'll always say to people regarding not just the Hooper's Log, but anything that you ever put any passion into or want to do is the biggest thing that matters ultimately in regards to your success, if you ever want to be successful at anything, and this is just so easily obvious now to this point, not just because of my own career and what I do in my re- you know outside of the media world, but it also is impactful in the media world. I make sure to show up and hit deadlines at all times. I can't tell you how many times I have come across people who ask me tips on how to do podcasts and tips on how to improve and how to do this and how to do that and how did you do this and why did you do this and what angle did you pull from and all of this. And the one thing I try to tell people, because it is 100% fact, I don't know about it now, because I'm obviously heading out of the game in that regard. But if you want anybody ever to follow you for the long term, you have got to hit deadlines. You could be the crappiest, worst, most pathetic person on the planet regarding your content. You could have a piss poor voice. You could have all this stuff. If you hit your deadlines and you are consistent on promoting and opening up and and getting shows out at the time you promised to release them, somebody will listen to you on that day every day. Because let me tell you a dirty secret. That one, two, ten listeners, one of them, if not the one listener, is probably somebody who just needs a fresh voice to get them through to their next obstacle in life. And if you miss that Tuesday window or that Friday afternoon window before they've got to go take a test, before they've got to go to work, before they've got to get on the bus, before they've got to go grocery shopping, before they've got to do a big interview, and you miss that window, do you know what that person is going to do? They're going to shut you off. And you will have lost an incredible customer to allow to be following you on the path that you created for them. That was one of my biggest motivations for not just up and quitting and leaving the Hooper's Log. Out of all the times, and I, I, I told this to my wife. I didn't tell her in this depth, but <laughs> I told this to my wife. I can't just quit when I don't like something. I'm not built that way. I don't just leave something when I'm not feeling it or when I'm not doing it. I'm not just going to skip a show. I'm not going to stop and not do a show. This is the crap I get I get passionate about. I don't just not do something. Granted, there are times where I will skip a week 
or I'll skip a couple, or I'll be off a certain time or whatever on a regularly scheduled date, right? Everybody has those. That's fine. But as long as you inform the audience that you're going to be gone next week, or you're going to be this, or you're going to be that, they're going to understand. Your real audience is going to understand you. It's when you show up for three straight weeks and you're gone. And there's no rhyme or reason. You're just gone. And you don't explain it and you don't talk about it and you don't get there. You know what that gets you? That gets you a lot of lost, true, valued listeners and customers and people who want to contain your content. That was really the caramelized final edition motivational piece to keep me doing what I did. Because yeah, I think I only have like maybe 10 to 15 listeners now. I don't have the 500, 800, 300 consistent listeners that I had at CLNS, which I don't give a damn about. I cared about those people listening to my show. I will always care about every time somebody listens to my show. Do not get that twisted. But what I don't care about is how many people have listened. All I care about is that it found a way to impact your life. How has my show impacted your life? How far has your life been able to develop and grow from the time I started in December of 2014? To June of 2022. Have you been able to grow as an individual and get better and improve? And on those days, lately it's been every Tuesday morning when the show releases, have you been able to go about your business, do what you've needed to do, and utilize whatever things I've said in those shows to the best of your ability? Or to get a nice laugh, to get a good break, to calm your nerves, to listen to somebody with a passionate passionate take on something that maybe someone else didn't say, a new creative look at the way the game might be talked about, bashing LeBron, bashing Steph Curry, giving you a rhyme and reason to do so, Harping on guys like Kawhi Leonard. Talking about the greatest players of all time. Talking about the next great big player. Talking about Zion Williamson and his ability to improve and potentially become the next face of the league. Talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo and why people can't keep saying his name correctly because they think it's funny, but he's a legend. Did I spark your ability to enjoy what you've heard and what you've seen? I hope that answer is yes. And again, I thank you all so much. That's Curtains, and we are out on the Hooper's Luck. I tried making it two hours. Clearly, we're almost there. And these last couple minutes, um, 
you know, it's hard to get in, 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 it's hard to step away from something you've committed so much time to. But like I said, it's a lot easier to do so now because of where my life has gotten to. And I'm not going to go away and die and disappear. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just <laughs> like, I'm still going to be at the Spurs lead. You're still going to see some of my content. But in regards to radio, it's going to be gone for probably a very long time. And it'll be a different thing altogether. It's not going to be this anymore. This project is done. It is done. And for everybody that's ever been had a hand in it and anybody that's ever been involved in this show, period, I truly and graciously say thank you. Because without your help, there is no way that I could ever have continued to keep this project afloat. This was not only me, although the last two and a half years have been, roughly. And for the most part, the people who latched onto me and latched onto this show really did put in work and provided openings and opportunities and conversations that I'll never forget and so many things I learned from and so many things in the media that I learned about when I said on the Hooper's log or when I made the point of if you don't ever fulfill your dreams it's as if they never existed they never quite tell you when you're that naive to say something like that that as long as you put the work in and you do what you're supposed to do and you learn lessons and you talk to people behind the scenes and you get to know and understand and realize and learn all the things that you do with the people that you do it with that at the end of the day it's all of the lessons that you take from those things that ultimately allow you to live your life to the fullest and be as good as you possibly can And with that, for me, ultimately, the show is over. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy the free agency period. Enjoy the rest of the league. 75 years is in the books. The Golden State Warriors are your NBA champions. And the Hooper's Log is officially over. Dear Hooper's Log, thank you so much. For being a part of my life. Thank you so much for getting me to this point. And for all of you loyal listeners and all of you loyal fans, I'll never forget you. Have a good one.